Do you have an online course and always wondered if putting that content in the form of a book would be the right path for you? How do you do it and not cannibalize the sales of your online course? How do you use the book to grow your audience and actually use it to make more sales of your online course? Stay tuned because that's what we're talking about today. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Hey everyone, I'm Jacques Hopkins and welcome back to the Online Course Show. So glad to have you here where we're talking about all things online courses and memberships and online business. Today, I actually have a return guest. Often with this podcast, you'll hear me having conversations with other course creators and in this case, membership creators, and we just have conversations about online business. And today's guest, his name is Tim Topham. He's in Australia. He is a, I guess you could say fellow piano teacher, but he doesn't have an online piano course like I do. His programs are all about helping music teachers, piano teachers, be better piano teachers. Tim was first on the podcast way back in episode 69, and at the time, he was running a membership and had over a 1,000 members in his membership. Very, very successful. It's still very successful, but here, years later, he's rejoining the show to talk about how things are going with the membership, what's going on there. He talks to us about best practices with memberships overall, how to implement urgency into your selling process when the product is a membership and not a course, and then we talk a lot about writing a book when you already have a course or membership-based business. Tim has a new book coming out very soon, and he's somebody that wrote the book years and years into having his business already. Some people try to start their business with a book, but in this case, Tim was already very, very successful, and he's adding a book to his overall stack in a way that's designed to just feed into his entire business and support everything that he's already done. So if a book has been on your mind, this could be the episode for you. Or if you're running a membership or thinking about running a membership, Tim is a great resource for that as well. But before we get into that, let me tell you about Deadline Funnel. I mentioned urgency a little while ago. The best way to implement urgency and specifically evergreen urgency to where it just runs and runs and works all the time for you is with one of my favorite all-time tools, Deadline Funnel. So many course creators, so many people I've had on this podcast are using Deadline Funnel. One of my favorite things about it is that it just works. It does a, a piece of my business very effectively and it just works and has been working for me since 2016. So if you want to have evergreen deadlines, evergreen urgency inside of your course business, inside of your funnels, then use the gold standard for that. It is Deadline Funnel. And by going to deadlinefunnel.com slash OCG, you can actually get a double free trial of Deadline Funnel. You'll get a full month free trial by using that special link if you want to try it out for free for 30 days. Once again, that's deadlinefunnel.com slash OCG. Now on to the full conversation between myself and Tim Topham. Hi, Tim. Welcome back to the Online Course Show. Thanks so much for having me back, Jacques. I cannot believe we were just talking about it being five years since I was last on the show. That's crazy. We've had uh, we've had repeat guests before, but I don't know that... I think you might have the record for the span between your appearances. <laughs> five, I mean, a little over five years. That's very impressive. And so much has happened, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll find out. I don't know. Let's see. Um, so I want to. What I want to do is, is I'd like to start kind of now, and then maybe work backwards a little bit and see what's been going on in the past, you know, five years. You had an extremely healthy business the last time we talked, and I'd love to hear, you know, where it is now. Uh, I think one of the big things happening now for you is a book. So I would love to start there. Why, with all the successes you've had, um, why then take it, take that, and, and write a book? Well, I think like everybody. Everybody says they want to write a book, right? Pretty much. And I've always said that. And I finally... Can I clarify one thing? Like, I would like to have written a book. I don't want to write a book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yes, I know what you mean. And I think I said that as well. But then eventually, I just said, you know what? I am just going to do this. And I read a couple of books from online people about writing books. 
And one of them really uh, captured me and just made me go, you know what, I'm just going to do this. Uh, and I sort of, I had a very big plan for the book originally. It was going to be epic and huge and 50,000 words or more and everything. And the, the main thesis of this particular book that I read was just keep it small, 100 pages, 110 pages, 30,000 words, and you can really use it as a marketing uh, tool to capture, try and capture people who wouldn't otherwise find you. And that really converted my thinking, made me go, you know what? I think this more than just being a, a book that's going to give people lots of value and lots of new ideas about creativity in their beginner teaching, it's going to be a great marketing tool for us to potentially reach the many thousands of teachers who haven't found us yet because they're not on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and things like that. But maybe they'll pick up a book and read it. How how do you actually reach those people with a book? I mean, you've got such a such a great presence. You've been around for a long time. I'm sure a very strong, you know, SEO presence. People are searching for things. They find your website, find your content. How are you able to reach those people that aren't finding you already with a book? Well, I think the, a book gives you new channels because people talk about books to their friends more than they might talk about, oh, I saw this webinar or I, I did this, read this blog post. And a book becomes a really tangible asset that people can actually physically hand on to other people. So I think there's there's that element. But there's also the element of when I go and speak at conferences, which I enjoy doing, um, I've got another one coming up in March in Atlanta, I have the opportunity then to share the book with people physically. And again, it's just a new channel to get this in front of more people. I also think having things on Amazon adds you to a whole nother search category uh, and opens up the opportunity to show up in suggested search results and things like that. So I think there's there's three particular ways that I'm thinking of it being able to access more people. One, uh, one of the most common questions I get would be around you know, what, what content should go in my course versus on something like YouTube. So I'm going to kind of twist that question around and ask you as somebody who's re recently written a book, I mean, is there anything new necessarily in your book or is it just a lot of the same stuff you've talked about in various places, just put in a different format? That's a really good question. And I, I in fact, I think we may have talked about this in the first episode, that idea of, you know, how much do you give away versus what you keep in your course and things like that. And it's a perennial question for people creating free content versus paid content. The simple answer to your question is, yes, there is some new stuff, but most of it isn't. It's just in a new format and it's very much refined. I think the real realization I've had in creating this book and one of the really great learning experiences for me as the author is that really writing a book really helps you refine what you're trying to say. What are you trying to say? You have to get it right and you have to really think through the process. What is the structure? What is the process? And for me, it was about what is the history of what I'm doing? Why? So just to give listeners the, the cliff notes on the book, it's about how to teach beginner piano students more creatively by delaying reading, note reading. So just taking the method books, which is the traditional way people learn to read um, or play piano, and just delay that for a few weeks So to become more creative. And so in the book, I really wanted to go back in time a little bit and go, why, why is it that we don't teach more creatively? Why do we open up a book on the first lesson with students and point to middle C on the page and show them it on the piano and teach them to read? And why has it come so far from the time of Bach and the Baroque composers where they were all improvisers. So it was, and I know you're, you're big on piano improv, so I'm sure it's close to your heart, this as well. But I wanted to do a little bit of research. Why were method books so prevalent? Where did they come from? Um, and by the way, I've got nothing against method books. They are the best way to teach someone how to read at an instrument by far. I just don't think it's the best thing to do straight up. So that's what the book's about. Well, now, now you've piqued my interest. I mean, can, can you give me super high level? Like, I know this is like my interest and probably not many of the podcast uh, listeners' interest, but but how did the music education end up that way? It was really, it, it was a, a number of twists and turns through the, uh, the 1800s when we went from this creator kind of paradigm in the Brock period where composers would, 
uh, have to create new music because that was what they were paid to do as court musicians, create pageants, and that's when the fireworks music came out, all of those kinds of things, to later on when sheet music and the printing of sheet music started to become something, um, then people wrote down their music and other people wanted to play their music. And that became the new, it just emerged as the new way that people should be performing. You Like reciting Shakespeare, you would recite somebody else's music and you better get it right because there was no recordings back then. So when you performed it, you better get it right and play exactly what Liszt or Rachmaninoff had written. And I think we're now starting to turn the, the page back again and realise that we lost so much in just focusing on performance interpretation. Um, and now we're starting to bring that, see that creativity come back. And I have to say that I went to my first conference this year in America after four years. Uh, and in fact, the first time I spoke in America was 2015. And I mentioned this in the book. Back then, very little creativity in that at that particular conference not much about pop music or teaching creatively now uh, there's whole creative tracks and committees and there's so many blogs and podcasts about it so lots has changed in 10 years very interesting so i, I am i'm fascinated by the uh the 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 idea of of having a book as as part of your overall business model. So I hope hopefully you don't mind if we hang out here a little bit. Um, first, no, I mean, no, I don't this think is you've what mentioned your, uh, listeners would probably be interested in. Yeah, that. I think so. But like, make it, yeah. what's the name of your book? Because I'm sure some people would be interested in in actually checking out the book itself. Yeah, it's called No Book Beginners, and um, it's over on my website. All the details: topmusic.co/book. If you want to check it out. Yeah, and it's on Amazon and, and some bookstores and whatnot. It, it will be depending on when we go live. <laughs> so we're, we're in the thick of it right now. We're in the thick of a launch. Yeah. Well, we're actually, we're just in the final stages of the design. This is something else I've learned, which your viewers might, uh, your listeners might not realize is just how long it takes. When you finish writing your book, you have months ahead of you through the editing process. So we're just at the final stages of that. And that's taken more than six months. Wow. Okay. So yeah, let's start back when you make the decision to write a book and you're coming at, you know, some people kind of start their business on the backbones of a book. Like, okay, I want to, I want to take this information, this knowledge I have, what am I going to do with it? Write a book. You're coming at it. I've been, you've been doing this for, you know, over a decade. Um, how, how long you've been doing this long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. 13 years now, 13 years. Right. Um, so you've built a lot of things. You've you've taken your knowledge and information, and even I know you have other people that teach courses for you, like knowledge and information from other people as well. And you've put it out there in so many different formats. So you're coming at this, you know, 13 years into a healthy business. You make a decision. Okay, I'm going to use a book as a channel to um, to uh, get this information out there. Do you just like open up a document and start writing? Like, what are the next steps? Well. I mentioned earlier that I had my original plan was for something far more epic. It was a much broader book, which I may still write in time, which was all about a really holistic big picture looking at music teaching in general. And one of the chapters was about creative notebook teaching for beginners. And it just happened that that chapter really started to emerge as something much bigger. And I'd written about it. I've written courses about it. I've spoken about it. So I had the context and it just became clear to me that I was going for something too big and I'm, I have made this mistake a number of times in my entrepreneurial career trying to go too big too soon. One of my first businesses, uh, actually not my first, but a business that I ran when I was living in Perth when I was a young, much younger person was an events company for it was to run underage dance parties for like 14 to 16-year-olds. Uh, on Saturday, Friday, Saturday nights, you know, get them off the streets and, and have them have a safe party, basically. And I made the mistake of going way too big and hiring this massive venue that could fit thousands of people. And I had like 300 at that first event, and it was a really big learning experience for me. And I've never forgotten it. So, any other business that I've started since then, or in the case of the book, start small. So, I thought, let's take this no book chapter. Let's make that the first book. Let's make it a smaller book and much more achievable. I'm so glad I did that. So, yeah, really focusing down on that. Uh, and I just as well want to mention too, it it is because it's come later in the business and it wasn't the thing, that wasn't the catalyst for the rest of the business. As you say, it's kind of reversed. Um, it is 
designed in the business structure. It's very strategic marketing play for me in order to, yes, as I say, capture those other people that I haven't captured before. But the other thing that I've learned about books is that, um, and I'm sure you and your listeners will think the same, will realize the same thing. When you read a book, you're committing to spending, I don't know, three hours focused with one person and probably not doing anything else. Maybe if you're listening to the audio book, you might be driving a car. But if you're reading a book, you're not doing anything else. You're committed. And what that means is by the time someone's finished the book with you, they're pretty invested. And and so my, my hope is that the people who are more invested in the book and have taken that time with me will be more likely to go, you know what, I reckon I should be kept joining Tim's membership and finding out more about him. Because, wow, I've just spent three hours with him and he's given me all of this information. And it's different in that way to a webinar where people can have five tabs open and be scrolling Instagram and whatever else. So I think there's something special about a book. I think that uh, building trust is one of the key ingredients to um, getting people to take out their card and, and make a purchase from you. And so um, I think that's one of the reasons that say like uh, a lot of times people will fail with paid ads because you're it's it's not a great avenue to build a significant amount of trust with somebody. That's one of the reasons I like uh, a podcast so much is for very similar reasons that you're talking about a book. Like people, it's a very intimate experience. Like we're in, I'm in somebody's ear. They're listening to me. You know, they're committed to it, um, and it's it's long form as well. So I can see how a book could be an incredible trust building tool as well. Very long form content. Exactly. Yeah. And really, uh, really deep, and yeah, and and if if people give up on the book early, then you know they they're, they're not going to be the right fit for you anyway. So that's okay too. Yeah, that's fair. And I think giving people uh, different different ways to consume your material as well, and this just adds another way way for you. If somebody has, you know, it sounds like you did have some some new concepts in this book when you go back and look at the history of this. But if somebody had their content, let's say in an online course already, and and they just want to take that and put it in the form of a book. And I'm sure some of your, you know, some of the material in the book is is repeated in other other places. But would it be a reasonable thing to maybe find like a ghostwriter to say, hey, I've got this content already. Can you take it and make it into a book and then still put my name on as an author? I'm, I'm, I'm coming at, at this from a very ignorant perspective. But as somebody who has now written a book, would that be a reasonable approach for a course creator? I think so. Yes, you can. You can one hundred percent do that. So your options really for writing a book is, yeah, you you can outline it for a, for a ghostwriter and hire someone else to write it. You can write it from scratch as I did, or you can even do a combination of that. You could you know you could speak the show the 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 book to someone who could transcribe it or get the software to transcribe it, and then someone to sort of massage it into format. But yeah, short answer, yes, there would be nothing stopping anyone with a comprehensive course from from doing this. And in actual fact, No Book Beginners started life originally as a course. So in the book, uh, the readers will get access to five of the lesson plans. So the, the course has 10 weeks worth of lessons. And in the book, we give them five five of those weeks, as well as all the background and a whole lot of other information as well, but that is the core part of what we're giving. So someone else with a with a course that does something similar could take a take an approach like that. So you mentioned that you were very strategic about uh, the mar- using it as part of your marketing, and so you just tapped into that a little bit. How there is uh, some training involved with it as well. Can you go into a little more detail about the strategies you use to? I guess it's sitting at the kind of top of funnel level for you. Uh, now, so what are some of the things that you've done inside the book to lead people? I guess you know once they finish or during the book to to ho- you, hopefully you want them to pay you money in other ways, join your membership or whatever. What are the exact things you've done in the book to make that as easy as possible? Yeah, that's a great question and one that I thought a lot about actually. So the main call to action throughout the book is for readers to visit our companion website nobookbeginners.com. So we've built that as a way to grab leads from people who don't buy the book through us. So the book will be sold in multiple formats. You'll be able to buy the physical copy, print on demand, Amazon. But of course, Amazon keeps all the details. We won't know who they are. Uh, People can also download it as a PDF. 
under ten dollars, and it's a really conscious decision we've made to price it at nine dollars, uh, in order that we can. Yes, we will have their details then, um, and then through the book, the goal is sign up at No Book Beginners to access extra resources. So, for example, in the first lesson, teachers get to play along and do a simple improv with their students. And on the companion website, they'll be able to access a backing track uh, in a couple of different styles so that they can press play and the student can use that in their own home practice as well. So things like that uh, are very strategically placed throughout the book. Uh, in addition to that, there's a couple of complete pages with calls to action saying, oh, don't forget, we've got all of this information over on our website. There's a picture of it uh, and a really clear call to action, go and make sure you've registered your copy or, you know, logged in over there so that we can provide you more details. And once people do log in over there, we're going to put them in a funnel whose goal is to uh, encourage them to join our membership. So that's the end game for the book. It's a lead driver with the hope that they'll look at this and go, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. What other cool things has Tim got? I need to go and join his membership. So it sounds like you've bundled several resources over on the companion site, and then you mentioned the individual resources they could possibly get throughout the book. So if maybe the first resource didn't appeal to them, but then the, maybe the second or the third one will, and then they go to the same exact opt-in, no matter which which one appealed to them. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, and did there's you also go... some links to our general website, a podcast episode here or there, things like that. Great. The um, are, are you going the like traditional publishing route, self-publishing, and is that a decision you have to make like before you start writing the book? Yes, I would, and we decided to go self-publishing. I didn't want to have the hassle of publishing, uh, and I didn't want to really give up all my royalties as well. <laughs> Be selfish about it. Uh, I think you have incredible flexibility, particularly if you have your own audience. So I think. Publishing traditional publishing is great for an author who is new and not unknown, because the publishers will get do all the marketing for you. But if you already have an audience, and I imagine most of your listeners probably have built some kind of an audience, then self publishing made a lot of sense because we have pretty big organic reach already. So, and we can use those channels. So, our audiobook. There is. I've just finished recording it. Last night. Okay, you did it. You did it yourself. That's great. I love when yeah, the, the audiobook yeah, is 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 the author himself. Did you add in like little anecdotes here and there that aren't in the book? Oh, uh, I, I tried to stick pretty close to the script actually because I if I start riffing, I just I can't stop myself. <laughs> I just go off on tangents because what I do on the podcast. Uh, but there's something else I learned. If you're not in America, uh, I think it's America and Canada uh, are about the only jurisdictions that can upload to. Audible and Spotify audiobooks without going through a publisher. And I, again, I didn't want to go through a publisher because they're going to take a percentage of the audiobook fees. So I decided to do that through my podcast. So I use a podcast host called, um, host called Captivate and they can have private podcasts. So what we've done for this one is make it a private podcast and people who buy the audiobook get access into the private podcast. So they'll be able to listen to it like they listen to my show or your show. And I think that's a, f a fun way to do it actually. Very cool. Or fascinating to hear about the process uh, with all of this. So it sounds like it's all going really well so far. Um, let me jump back to the business overall and where it stands today. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about uh, what you would say like your role is today inside the business? Yeah, we actually over the course of COVID, pre-COVID, I was really kind of building. I'm not sure if we we talked about that. Perhaps I was really I was trying to grow my team bigger and bigger and really scale it. But I think I, through COVID, I had a bit of an epiphany that maybe I didn't actually want a massive <laughs> massive business. You know, scaling businesses is hard and it just gets harder and harder and you get more, less and less time. We've got two kids and we're now renovating and I'm just glad that it's actually not e enormous. But what that does mean is that my role has become a little bit more hands-on. So I've kind of gone from a little bit more hands-off to a little bit more hands-on since I last saw you, I think, Jack. Uh so my role is, yeah, definitely the overall strategy um, and then guiding the main sort of releases. What are we doing? Where? And then the team tends to implement that. So last, uh, this year, I should say, we two other big things we've done as well as the book is to launch a new what type of music teacher 
am I quiz. I've always wanted to do a quiz and lots of people talking about that. So that's been really fun to launch and has been quite successful. It's been a very good lead generator for us. And then we also launched a certification program, which I co-hosted with one of our other team members. So we did a, a 12-week cohort-based certification for music teachers. And that's been incredibly successful too. We had 32 people go through that uh, and they're just finishing their portfolios now actually. Uh, but that again, I've, I've sort of run the first session and then I'll be handing that over to my team to run the next cohorts. So I think a lot of my role is, oh, here's, you know, here's, here's a cool thing, let's try this. And my team also comes up with things all the time and I encourage them to do that as well. Um, so between me and them, we'll work out the strategy and then we put that into, into practice with all the different moving pieces we've got. It's so it's so fun to get the updates, uh, you know, and have repeat guests. I, I was listening to our previous recording, as we mentioned, it was you know over five years ago now. And one question I asked you was, you know, is, is, is there anything you're struggling with? And, and you know what you said was scaling at the time. <laughs> oh, really? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yes. 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 So now I've I've kind of just. Because I, I listen, as you do, to podcasts, Masters of Scale and, I don't know, all the, these big Alex Hormozzi and these people doing massive stuff out there. And I, I think, I, yeah, I've just changed my opinion about wanting that because of the impact it has on your life. I mean, uh, I'm not a, I don't even know what it's like to have a high-growth SaaS startup. But I could imagine it's can probably pretty miserable, to be honest. <laughs> like, it would just be so hard. And I'm not going for an IPO or anything like that. It's too niche what I'm doing. So I want to have it where I can manage it and where I can have a comfortable and happy life as well. Is the is the main revenue driver in your business still the still the monthly membership? Yeah, it is. Yep. So that's the main the main offer you have. Um, I don't remember how many tiers you were offering back then, but I'm on your website now. It looks like you have three tiers to the to the offer can you explain the offer a little bit i don't yeah i don't think i would have had the three when i last spoke to you so what one one of the things we found is so we have a our our, our core offer is the middle tier on the pricing page is our best deal it says best deal right at the top i gotta trust you that must be the best deal and it is it is so that and that's that's the the full access for most music teachers it's all our courses and all our discounts basically everything and what I wanted to do, though, was add an opportunity for teachers who weren't uh, able to continue paying for that or they had too few students or whatever it is, rather than just go cancel and goodbye, Tim, offer them something that they could downgrade to. So we introduced a light tier, which is just $10 a month, and what that gives teachers is a limited number of our courses, free monthly sheet music and games packs, all our webinars and the chance to have our app and forums and ask questions and things. And that's that's actually grown quite nicely and it has captured quite a lot of people. I can see when people downgrade to it once they've been on the cancellation page. And instead of cancelling, oh, no, I'll just I'll stick with Tim. I can do $10 a month and it would be great to stay connected. And then later on, we, ans- we added our evolution tier, which is the higher tier, which is slightly different. It's to help people like you do actually help music teachers who want to build an online business of some sort to release an online membership or product or start a podcast or whatever it is that includes my music teacher startup course and more higher level things. So that's a really entrepreneurial tier that not all that many teachers go for. The main one is that middle, middle tier. Very interesting. And I see on the top of the the pricing table, you've got the three options. And then like most SaaS products, there's the toggle between monthly and yearly. It says switch to annual and get two months free. Uh, yep. Do you know roughly how many you know, percentage breakdown of who chooses monthly versus yearly? Yeah. Well, last time I looked, it was about 60-40 or thereabouts in favor of monthly, which I think is relatively standard. Yeah, very cool. So once somebody decides to purchase, they're in the in, on the inside. I'd love to talk a little bit about the tech you're using to deliver everything. I believe you were using WordPress. Are you still using WordPress? You got a good memory. Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, of course, I started before Kajabi and Podia and Circle and Studio, like all of these, Kartra, all of these different platforms even existed. So we had to cobble it all together. On WordPress, and I've stuck with it, um, and I now have an incredible developer 
in Italy who has been with me for many years who knows it inside out and has managed to wrangle WordPress to actually work for us. Because I remember when I started, WordPress was a nightmare with memberships, but it's stable now. And I think I have to say, if I was to start this again, I wouldn't probably try and do it on WordPress <laughs> because the platforms that are built specifically for membership delivery are, are so good. So is this developer full-time? No, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could afford him full-time. No, he works for two other companies. He, he he does a fair bit of work for us, though. Yeah, okay. So this is really interesting to me because I, I experimented with the w- WordPress route not not too long ago. Now, talk uh, before I go into detail there, um, tell me about some of the plugins you're using. Is it BuddyBoss, LearnDash? Yes, both of those. So BuddyBoss does our app. Uh, mm-hmm. LearnDash does our LMS. And MemberPress, we've been with MemberPress. I'm, I'm like on like their legacy user or something, I think. I was one of their first. So we're still using uh, MemberPress, and that's that continues to be really successful for us. We use ChartMogul for analytics, uh, Stripe and PayPal, of course. Um, and we, I mean, there is a crazy number of plugins that are in there. But if you have a developer who knows what they're doing, that's actually okay. Yeah, that's what I've found is if you're going to go that route, you've got to have a tech guy or girl that is of like you could reach anytime in case something breaks yeah. <laughs> and they really know what they're doing. So the last yes. time we would have talked, my piano course would have been on click funnels and a lot of the business would have been there with uh, the funnels were there, the courses, uh, the checkouts were there, the courses were there. And uh, eventually, probably shortly after COVID, I wanted something better. And uh, I evaluated everything and I did end up going WordPress with Buddy Boss and LearnDash. Uh, probably, I think 2021 is when we made that move. And at first, it was kind of nice because, you know, the biggest advantage with going WordPress is the customization. You can pretty much do anything you can dream up. And Buddy Boss was kind of cool. You know, LearnDash isn't bad. But I ended up using so many different plugins to just make everything work that I, the way that I wanted it to work. There was WP Engine, there was uh, some automator plugin, there was all kinds of stuff and things just would break and they, you know, and, and one plugin company would blame another plugin company. And there wasn't one central place I could go to get support. And I tried to have a developer, but that, that was slow. And I just, you know, I tried it. We were on it for about a year and I, ha- I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't last like you have. And I had to switch off and I ended up going with Kajabi, uh, because it's an all-in-one platform. I could go to them for support and so on. So I, I tried it, Tim, and, and kudos to you for still being on there. Yeah, look, if I didn't have this amazing developer, I probably would have jumped ship as well. Uh, and yeah, anyone who I hear of on Kajabi, yes, you pay for it, but you don't pay for that. You, you relieve yourself of all the stress. And I think a lot of these platforms also have CMS and email marketing as well. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to have an active campaign or a drip or whatever. So there goes a whole and on like we use Intercom for on-site chat. That's expensive. Uh, I think most of them, these other ones, have built-in on-site chat. So, yeah, lucky for everyone that you're starting now that <laughs> you've got so many options. Yes, um, and one of the one of the reasons was certainly price that I wanted to go that route. In addition to the customization and getting exactly what I want, but at the end of the day, it was actually more expensive because of the hosting fees I had to end up paying. So I ended. I was paying to have really good servers to make sure it was fast enough for all my users. I was paying as much for just the server that I'm paying for Kajabi now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of kind of hidden or unknown costs when you use WordPress for complicated things. Yeah, I understand that. So we've mentioned COVID a couple of times, and um, so that's come in relatively gone since we last talked. And for for my business, for for my piano business, it was a. A positive because so many people are home and so many people have learning piano on their bucket list. And so they're like, oh, what do I do with my time? And so, you know, April, May 2020 are by far my best months I've ever had um, in the business. Um, what, how did how did COVID affect your business? Yeah, we didn't have see that same spike because our audience is music teachers. And as you can imagine, music teachers were under a lot of pressure and stress to suddenly go, holy crap, what do I do now? Uh, I can't see my students in person. And uh, you know, there's a lot of older teachers in this industry who had never done a Zoom lesson. They'd never heard of Zoom, for example. So we really spent all of our time helping teachers 
Uh, we put out as much content as we could. I interviewed people. We recommended software. I recorded lots of YouTube videos. We, it was just, we're all in together. It's like, we've got to help people. So we didn't see that same spike that I have heard from yourself and, and others who work with music students um, all enjoyed. Although I know that a lot of uh, even companies like Masterclass, um, uh, Peloton and everyone, they after the spike has come the yes. challenges again as things have dropped back off, right? All right. So as far as the business goes, you mentioned, uh, you know, the different tiers and that the membership is the main revenue driver here. So what ultimately, what are you doing to get people to say yes uh, to join you in the membership? Do you have some um, some fancy funnels? Do you um, have any sort of uh, urgency built in? Uh, ultimately, how are you getting people to say yes? Yeah, the, the biggest way people say yes is through our funnels. So we have a number of different funnels depending on how they've uh, introduced how, how we've introduced ourselves to them. So if they've downloaded a particular lead magnet, they'll go into a variety of different funnels. If they've taken our quiz, they'll go into a different funnel. So we probably have oh, <laughs> that's kind of scary to think, but we have been going for thirteen years. So uh, we would probably have ten decent funnels running in the background. I would say. Uh, and we we have over 300 lead magnets, I would say. Uh, so there's a lot of, and we've got our social media channels. So we've got a lot of hooks out there. Um, but your question more about conversion, yeah, the conversion tends to happen through our emails um, over over the over the course of of, of time. Uh, the other way we do convert people and have been finding it's working. I'm not sure about you and, and your listeners. Uh, we used to do a lot of webinars. But webinars have become a bit passe now and they're not converting for us so much. So we've moved more to challenges. Uh, and I know Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels talks a lot about challenges. Uh, we've found them really, really help, really useful because people like, they like it. It's short, sharp, doable and engaging. And they've got that community around them and they achieve something in a short amount of time. So um, we've found that that in the last year, the two challenges we've run have been probably our biggest drivers of of new people without using a, a long funnel. Can you can you walk me through one of those challenges? Like what, what did it look like? What, what was the challenge? What were they hoping to accomplish? Um, yes, one of them was uh, right at the start of the year and I didn't actually run this, one of my team members did, which was even more satisfying because mm -hmm. I had no involvement in it at all and it was one of our best. <laughs> it made me go, oh, I really shouldn't be running these anymore. <laughs> one of our best drivers of new members. It was a planning challenge. It was over three days. We set up a pop-up Facebook group and every day uh, my team member went live, gave 30 minutes of content or thereabouts, and then a challenge. Okay, and I can't remember what the specific challenges were, but it was things around here's, here's a really great template to use to organize your first quarter of the year lesson plans or student management or whatever it was. Go and do that. Come back. Tell us how it went. All right, next day, let's do the next little step. All really achievable, all doable in the Facebook group, and everyone gets that buzz because they start sharing. Oh, share me shit. Show your sheet that you filled out. Let's all, all share what you've learned and things like that. And so you get this buzz happening. Um, I don't know. Have you run challenges before? No, I haven't done it myself. I've I've heard some people do it to great success, but that's why I'm I'm curious about the details of the challenge. So to to incentivize somebody to sign up, you're offering um, this support and all that, and it's free to to join the challenge. Is that how it works? We've done both paid and free ones. The one I talked about was free. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I did some five-day challenges that were paid ones. So they were about $30, I think. We also had a VIP one so people could come into the Zoom room with us and ask questions live on camera rather than just be in the Facebook group. And they were five-day ones. We did a creative teaching one. So each day I did one simple idea about creative teaching, right? Go and try it with your students. Come back. Show us, share the video of you doing it with your student. How did it go? All right, I'll give you one more idea today that kind of thing. We did a business one as well. Uh, so it you can do it either paid or free. Uh, and the incentive is that the teacher comes away with tangible uh, outcome mm -hmm. and they've got the accountability and connection of the group to hold them to it. It's like, no, you need, yeah. It's like the certification that we did as well this, this year. It was like, no, you need to be at these 12 sessions and we're going to help you through it. That's, and you're going to be held accountable by the whole group around you. 
I've thought about doing challenges. I would love to try it out. The, you know, you mentioned you have 300 lead magnets that blows my mind because I have one lead magnet <laughs> been the same for, uh, for 10 years. And it's called, it's a, it's a workbook that people can download for free called learn 36 pop, uh, popular songs in five days. And so I could easily take that and make some sort of five day challenge. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's one reason I'm interested to hear how your challenge works. So I could see like hyping that up, come in, you know, five days, but how do you convert those people into buyers? We off, we just offer them more. Basically, if you like this, then we have so much more in our membership. Here's a peek inside. And in that last session, we'll take them inside the membership, show them around, and then we'll give them a time to offer in order to get a just generally a discounted uh, access. And we, we're doing this for the quiz as well. So once someone takes a quiz, they go into a funnel and they've got, uh, we've got a email sequence that gives them a, a, a significant discount on a membership, but only for a certain amount of time. Uh, and so we and we find the same with the challenges. If they have just three days after the challenge finishes, or one day, or whatever it is, to access a discount, uh, that's that's been successful for us. Perfect. So it's it's a traditional funnel. Uh, it just happens to be a challenge funnel, and then you're offering uh, the urgency of a discount to get in for a limited time. Now, with a membership model, and you're offering a discount, is it like you know a certain amount off every every month for life, or are you just discounting the first month? How does that work? We've tried. We've tried so many different <laughs> different versions. So we've done free fourteen day trials and then full price. We've done first month free. We've done first month half price. We've done one dollar for one week. I mean, we have literally tried everything. Perfect. So but, tell me, what is the exact model that works best? <laughs> I need to I need uh, to know. I wish I could tell you there is one way that works every time. Look, the way that we've settled on that seems to have most impact is an ongoing. So for the life of your membership, sorry, we've got renovations going on, if you can hear that in the background, uh, a discount ongoing for the life of your membership. And so, and it's a significant one. So we'll take $20 off a monthly fee. So that might bring $49 to $29 a month. So pretty decent. Uh, or instead of paying $4.99 a year, $2.99 a year. So we're really going, hey, we, we want to give you this opportunity. Come and join us. Here's a fantastic discount. Um, and we'll we'll honor this discount for as long as you stay with us. Are you worried that people already paying 49 a month might see that and want the discount as well? I, it used to worry me, but I found actually over time, a lot of people realize. So there's two different types of people. One will say, will email you and say, Hey, I saw you doing this. Do you reckon you could help me out? You know, what, what could I do? I've been with you for a few years and we would generally, if, if they're going to outreach us, outreach to us and they've been with us for a while, we'll, you know, see if we can help them out. And then there's other people who go, you know what? If I walk past that television in the supermarket or whatever that I really want and it's a thousand dollars off and I don't buy it that day and the next day it's two thousand dollars, I've lost my chance. It's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of what it is. <laughs> So yeah, it, we, we try not to. We, I mean, we obviously want to keep our all our members happy. Um, but that said, as well, a lot of the members that we have had have come in on some sort of discount as we've run promotions over the years. I mean, we've been going with the membership specifically for six, seven years. So there's a lot. There's people paying all sorts of different amounts in there. What have you learned over the years about retention, getting people to stay in the membership as long as possible? I've learned to not get upset when people quit because when you first start, it really is like a dagger to your heart. It's like, what have I done? Why isn't this, why aren't people staying? Don't they like me anymore? Am I not going to be loved anymore? <laughs> um, so that's first thing. Second thing is it's very natural that you have attrition. That is what happens when you have SaaS or memberships. Uh, you do need to keep it under check. So our goal is for few, less than 5% churn a month, which is what we uh, are, are at and have been at since we started actually. So we're really happy with that. It's a good number. Uh, in regards to helping retain people, we try constantly. Oh, my goodness. We, <laughs> just like the pricing, we have tried every different tactic. When I first started, you'll find this funny. I don't know if I told you in the first episode, we would send, we looked at all our stats and we would see that the biggest drop-off would be for monthly users after in the middle of their second month, they would start to quit. So I went, right, I'm going to send them all chocolate. 
So I found these companies around the world who would ship chocolates with a handwritten card to all these people uh, just at that right time when they were most likely to to pull the pin. And um, sure enough, it worked. <laughs> but then, you know, then things would change and we would look and go, oh, the annuals are kind of giving up after three years. All right, so we should do something there. Anyway, look, long story short, retention is an ongoing challenge for us. We still look at it and we still work out how can we make it better. And what we're doing next year is rather than for memberships, I think we will always walk a fine line between giving too much information and overwhelming and not giving enough and people finding there's not enough value. So you can kind of never win, but we try. One of the things we're doing next year, because we already have 50 courses in the membership, we're only going to release two or three courses. I used to release one a month. So next year instead, what we're going to do is run cohorts through courses that we already have. So we're really looking at ways to connect people, add accountability, and take them through the resources that they already have rather than give them more stuff. And I'm hoping that's going to be a really powerful change for us next year. We saw it in the certification. The cohort-based learning was amazing and people got so much value from it and it was so much fun to teach. So we want to bring that to the whole membership next year. I love that. That's I think I think people re- really enjoy that. Um, I do really well with accountability, and uh, if I were inside of a membership, instead of just passively, you know, on my own time going through the training and whatnot, if I could, if I could join up and and do it on a certain cadence with other people, uh, I know I would appreciate that in terms of actually getting it done. So last uh, last thing for you, Tim. Um, you've been in business a long time. You've got a lot of um, amazing pieces of the business already set up. You know, a lot of people would be jealous of all the things you've been able to do from having this incredible uh, membership that's established. You've got uh, now a book, you've got um, lots and lots of content, podcasts, you know, people are finding you through search and whatnot. Um, But if you had to start over and those things didn't exist and you had to start over here in 2023, you know, what would that look like? Where would you start? Well, okay. Big question. It's quite an interesting question too, Jacques, because I actually have begun working on another startup. So I'm actually in this position in a completely unrelated field. So in the fitness and cycling industry, which is one of my other passions, uh, working with a a friend of mine who runs a cycling studio and the developer as a co-founder, where that, you know, we we get on that well. Uh, And so I, I am starting from scratch with that new business. And it's really hard. I have to say, it there is I, for people who are listening, who have heard all that we've been saying and what Jacques has been saying, and, and know that we both have businesses that um, have had some measure of success. I, I can see why how you can sort of look at that and go, "Oh my goodness, I can never do this." Like it is, it is such a mountain to climb because I'm feeling it myself right now, and I've already got some of the chops and skills there. So, look, the short answer is there definitely has been changes over time. So, I really built the first business on content marketing through blogs and SEO search. And organic search is still our biggest driver for new members, uh, new, yeah, new leads and members today, which is, which is great. But I don't know if I would do that today. I watched the emergence of Masterclass, as you probably did, masterclass.com. They and they were venture backed, so they had millions, and they just went all in on paid ads insane amount of paid ads. You could not go on Facebook or Instagram without seeing their ad for like two years. So, there's that end of the schedule of the scale if you've got lots of money, and there's the content end. But I think there's more and more now, there's opportunities through things like TikTok and influencers. And I'm not talking Kardashians. I'm just talking about all those people out there who have small audiences interested in what you do. Um, I think there's potential through that and this whole element of community, being able to build a community somehow and then say, hey, by the way, we've created this cool thing. Do you want to try it out? That's the kind of direction we're looking at for this other other startup because I do want to do things differently and I don't want to sit there writing blogs for five years <laughs> and I don't think that actually is going to have a big, big impact anymore, to be honest. I think the content is on YouTube and it's on social and it's on TikTok. Uh, the other thing that's changing, of course, is is ChatGPT and search. I don't know how what's happening, going to happen to the search industry 
in the next few sorry in the, sorry the SEO industry in the next few years if search results are going to come back with chat bot uh, responses that you don't even need to go to websites for anymore so I, yeah there's there's a lot of of things going on and I would just say to anybody who's in this position of starting you've got to listen to podcasts and keep your eye on what's going on and learn just keep up with trends because it's changing all the time all the time very interesting uh well good luck with the new venture uh thanks for joining me here again and good luck with the the launch of the book as well um one more time any calls to action uh where can people uh connect with you or learn more about um the stuff you have out there and, and maybe the new business as well yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. So the new business is cardiofit.app uh, and it's online audio guided workouts for cyclists, runners and rowers to um, use in their gyms and while they're traveling and things like that. Go and check that out if you want, although it's in the very, very early stages. So I'm not sure what it will be, what will be there when people go and look at it. And my main business, topmusic.co. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to promote that. And if you're interested in that book, just um, you'll be able to find it on the website, topmusic.co. Um, to any of the music teachers out there. And um, yeah, congratulations on all you're doing, Jacques, and the way you're helping people, both business owners and also the pianists of the world. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for the kind words, Tim, and thanks for joining me yet again. Uh, hopefully, uh, won't be five more years to do this again. <laughs> well, we should definitely do it in five years, if not before. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. See ya. All right, that is a wrap. Thank you again to Tim for joining me once again for this episode. If you want to go back and hear Tim's story from years ago, that once again was episode 69 of the Online Course Show when he first came on. And thank you out there for listening to another episode. You can find all the show notes and links from today's episode by going to oc.show slash 215, oc.show slash 215. And if you want to learn more about this whole online course business, Thing, then I've got a free workshop for you called the Online Course Business Formula. I broke down what successful six and seven figure course creators are doing inside their business that those who are struggling are not doing and put that together in a formula for you. And I want to show you exactly how that formula works for free. It's, it's about a 35 minute on demand training where you're going to learn the best traffic strategies, the best funnel strategies, how to put together an offer, how to build an incredible course all for free. To check that out, head to ocformula.com for that free on-demand training, ocformula.com. Thank you once again for listening to another episode. We'll see you next time.